Welcome to Talk 30 to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30-somethings on life. My kid is an asshole. Love. Did I tell you about the girl? twice in a week. And the never-ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turd. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. So I know I mentioned this before, but I really want to talk about it. <laughs> and we weren't able to talk about it, but uh, Hamilton was awesome. First off, let me apologize because you wanted to tell the story last week. And I was like, hold on, hold on. I already got enough stories from you this week, so let's hold it for next week. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of fucked up because, I mean, this is hard to hold back how fulfilling, that's a good word, that <laughs> okay. that show was for me. Binge listening to the soundtrack for God knows how long. When did it come out? Whenever it came out on Spotify. That, I think like around last November. Yeah. So I remember since listening then, to it when I was in uh, DC. Yeah, almost a full year. And memorizing the entirety of that soundtrack from start to finish and how it invokes certain emotions throughout is nothing compared to actually seeing it play out in front of you with the acting and the expressions and all that. Mind you, I was about 10 rows back. Which oh, was wow. awesome, right? And uh, yeah, we just had a blast. It was a great show. It finished the saga that is my obsession with Hamilton. And I have not been able to get out, uh, get that the mental images out of my head of the show because I've been listening to the soundtrack for so long, searching for images and, and imagery to link to lyrics and emotions in, in certain songs. And now that I have that, it's like ingrained permanently in my mind. I cannot forget it. So awesome. The acting was amazing. The casting, brilliant. The singing almost mirrored the soundtrack. It's right. almost incredible how they were able to cast a very similar cast. Two returning members from Broadway. That's it. Really? Just two um, in this production. And the fact that they were able to capture the essence of what was originally performed is just mind-blowing. I mean, we had a great time. Even Anna, Anna was blown away. She was like, this is one of the best shows we've ever seen, if not the best show. Is she a fan of theater like that? We've been going to musicals for a year now. Okay. So yeah, so we've been... Is she a fan? <laughs> or yeah, did you just drag her? Yeah, no. She, okay. she was... This was all for her. Hamilton was mine. Okay. Right? Okay. That was all me. That was all for me. It was selfish. Yeah. But so you endured the last it. year to get to Hamilton. Uh, no, I wouldn't even say endured. We watched a lot of good shows. Remember Rent? Yeah, Rent was a good one. Um, a, there was a Peter Pan one, uh, Neverland, was it? Or Finding Neverland? Mm -hmm. That was really good. Mm -hmm. That one, actually, I got choked up at the very end of that one. It was, <laughs> no, I'm serious. It was good. The single tear just comes down. <laughs> like the sobbing Indian on the side of the road. <laughs> the Simpsons episode. Um, uh, it was probably... Uh, uh, it was it was a good choice, I think. This, this season tickets for theater. It actually made me want to think of dropping another season ticket package and just upping, like increasing the um, the cost on this one to get better seats. But I think next year we're front row mezzanine, center front Me row mezzanine. Mezzanine is, is the second okay. level. So we're front row mezzanine, uh, center stage, which is really cool. Um, and I think that that's basically as good as sitting probably, you know, 15 to 20 rows back down on the floor. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's not bad. It's a higher up, so you get more of a vantage point too. On the floor, I was kind of bothered. You could see a lot, but, but you're you didn't up have all the time, right? Kind of, yeah, yeah, and that kind of, eh, mm. you know, 
10 rows back is good. I think if you were in the front row, you'd be like crane neck the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. it would suck. But it was fun. It was so fun and so worth it. Okay. Worth so it. worth it. Okay. I have, okay so I have, <laughs> I have two questions off of this. I have two questions. One, how much did you spend on these tickets? You don't want to know. No, no. I do want to know because no. there's a follow-up question to that. No. It's too much. So, well, tell me. I bought four tickets. And let's just say it was in the ballpark of about like three grand. Okay. What? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't give a fuck. I said I was watching this show. I was guaranteeing my seat. Probably could get them on StubHub for cheaper like an hour or two before the show. I didn't want to risk it. Okay. Okay. Fuck it. Okay. Well, beside that point, was it worth it? Right. Do you feel like spending that much money on these tickets? Well, technically you sold two, right? And then kept two. Yeah. Okay. But we'll say like if it was a $3,000 for just this two tickets that you guys had. Was it a worthwhile experience? For, for three grand for two tickets? No. Uh, it was way too much. That would be way too much. But for the price that I paid after selling and making a little bit, yeah. I think I got my cost down enough to where it's manageable. And that was it's, the intention. It's not, about, it's not about manageable. It's about was it worth it? Yes. To see the first tour for Hamilton? Yes. Absolutely worth it. I've never wa- I've never seen a Broadway play, a uh, Broadway show, so this is the closest that I'll probably ever get for the near term. So yeah, I, I think, dude... <laughs> Yeah, go see it. I mean, I've been playing that lotto, so I'm trying to get tickets, but I'm not trying to spend no $3,000, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but what I wanted to bring up was the difference between, you know, in, in our 20s, I think there was a lot more uh, flaunting of of money that we may or may not have had. <laughs> may not have had, it's more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> right? And And now you always see people writing these listicles or different articles about, you know, spend your money on experiences and not things and this and that, you know, so trips, yeah, whatever the case is. Yep, we're looking at that. And going into musicals, uh, not going into, but seeing musicals. And, you know, I was just want, you know, does this really fit that bill for you? Was this like a, one of those experiences that you are, the money wasn't an issue because it was, you just had so much of a value from it, the experience. It was, it was a lot of that. Yeah, the value in the experience really is what, you can pay for it, and you can get it, or you can not pay for it and sit there and wonder what it would have been like. And I, I wanted to know. I wanted to experience it. And it was something that it, it rang. I can see a lot of, and I, I've talked about this before, I can see a lot of parallels between you know, Hamilton's life and mine. Mm. I'm not saying I'm the next Alexander Hamilton. I'm not going to design a fucking financial system. And I'm not that much of a writer, but the, the follies that <laughs> yeah, plagued us. That was the next big thing he did. <laughs> the follies that plagued us, the successes we've had. A- anybody can derive anything from any one story or one instance, right? But mm-hmm. I related to it a lot is what I wanted to say. And for me to kind of get that completion, that um, not completion, but the... Um, like the full circle moment of seeing it played out in front of you yeah that helped it was good and i'm telling you the casting brilliant Mm -hmm. i loved it aaron burr phenomenal uh jefferson phenomenal hamilton obviously really good um exceptional just the way he got into it and all that i mean you really felt like he was emotionally invested in this fucking thing i'm not i don't know if it was every night i've only seen it once but Mm. go see it yeah, well, yeah, I, I mean, saying that. My, yeah, no, my thing is, you know, thinking about those T-Pain tickets, right? Because remember when they first came out, uh, they were $35 at every venue at the five cities across the U.S. And now I'm looking at them because it sold out within 30 seconds, uh, which, as you told me, there are algorithms that were... At play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and looking on StubHub, they're they're listed at, I mean, I think the cheapest I've seen has been 75 per ticket. 
So I'm I'm just debating. I was like, is it really going to be worth my time? Is that is that something I really want to see? Although you know, it is something I've been wanting to see. So I don't know why I'm playing, but I just don't know if it's worth seventy five dollars. Experiences are priceless. You cannot attach any monetary value to them because it is the emotional connection that you have to that particular experience that is going to outweigh far outweigh any financial obligation that you have to endure, whether it's three thousand dollars or or one hundred and fifty. Don't worry about the money. The money will justify itself once you're there and you're like, wow, I've, this is it. This is what I wanted and I got it. I think that, I think it's more profound when you can actually have what you've wanted. And I think it's more of the fulfillment aspect of it, Mm -hmm. like feeling fulfilled by, by a purchase. Does it make you feel fulfilled? And for me, it's not the fact that I keep buying shit to make myself feel fulfilled. It's because these things mean something to me. They signify something a milestone in my life where, you know, five or 10 years ago, I could not afford to have spent as much as I did on this. And if it came to town, I would have been like, fuck, what am I going to do? Like, I can't, I mean, the secondary market tickets were fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, I know because I sold a pair of tickets, right? It, it's, <laughs> I, it's highway robbery. But if you really want it, you go get it and you make, you'll figure it out financially. That shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. Okay. So I, I understand that point, but I think there's also the balance of, responsibility and not to say $75 is, is a stretch for me. It's, it's more so on the, the principle of the matter, but let's take the Hamilton tickets where they're going from, you could have bought them for what, 70 or $90 or something like that. No. When they first, when, when you buy them directed, the cheapest. In the no, I bought them direct. Um, yeah, but you bought 10th row. I was buying like back row center or whatever. Yeah. 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 I could have bought, yeah, way far back, but I've sat there before and I know I wouldn't have had the experience that I had sitting 10 rows back for such a show because it was that, it meant that much to me. Mm. I wanted to make sure that like Book of Mormon, that also, you know, we sat very close there. It was like 15, 20 rows back. And that I wanted to experience down there because it was a good show, you know, Mm. critically acclaimed Hamilton, even more so. Yeah. So breakthrough Broadway performance off Broadway to Broadway the whole journey, I followed it. And I can't say that, yeah, I want to sit all the way in the fucking back row. It's not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to maximize my experience. So with T-Pain, I'd say throw the 75 You know what? I, there's a strategy to buying tickets, too. We'll talk about this okay. offline. <laughs> but um, I would say go for it. And you might not end up having to pay that 75 bucks. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised. But here's the thing. If it will fulfill you emotionally, do it. Because then you'll spend the rest of your life wondering what it would have been like. That's what I'm worried about. Because what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? Because then I think about... Don't set the bar high then. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's... And <laughs> Maybe that's, I fucked up. <laughs> right, that's, that's part of the issue. Because like, I think about... I was a little stretched. Uh, was when I turned 30 and I, had, I, did, I did those seven trips, I was a little stretched, but it was so worth it to me. Like that, without a question. Just being on the road, meeting all the people that I met, being in the cities and the countries that I went to, it was amazing. And I, I, I didn't even think twice about it. But to spend $75 on a T-Pain ticket, I'm like, mm, I don't know. 75 bucks is not that bad. I know. If it makes sense, do it. It will find a way to motivate you to work harder to offset that financial hit. For Hamilton, you mentioned one thing, but what if it doesn't live mm-hmm. up to the expectation? I was super anxious before we went to the show, and I couldn't figure out why. I even told Anna, I was like, I was feeling really nervous. The reason being, if it didn't live up to the, the, the hype that I had set for it, if it didn't really make me give me that feeling that stir me emotionally, I would have been really upset. Mm. 
incredibly upset. That's why I was anxious before, but I set myself up for that failure. Plus I'd spend a shitload of money on tickets. I was like, if I spent this much and it wasn't, <laughs> if it wasn't that great, yeah, yeah. then I would have been set 150 bucks for two tickets. Okay. If you're going by yourself, 75, nah, no, I mean, you have to buy two as a requirement, like 75 is per ticket and it's minimum of two. So when anyway. are we going? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I want to talk about what you said about that idea of like working harder to offset the financial obligation. Okay. And this is a complete left turn from talking about T-Pain concerts, but talking about engagement rings. Now, this isn't necessarily my current situation, but it's been a very common theme in a lot of conversations I've been having with some friends, a lot of my friends lately. It makes sense for the 30s. So. Right. Uh, and, and while you have some guys that are out here, you know, that fit into that same mold of, I'm just going to work harder, not do anything and just completely stack up and then just pay for this cash. You have other guys that are, you know, picking up second jobs and, and they're still not able to meet those, that, that financial obligation for whatever reason. And, and I think some guys get caught up in the idea of, of I have to give her a ring that's either this big or that costs this much, whatever yeah. the case is, but their means or income or whatever they have doesn't match the size ring that they want to give to their prospective wife not matching in the sense that their wife doesn't deserve this ring. It doesn't match as in they are stretching themselves way too much financially for this ring. I did the same thing. Did you? Yep. After uh, leaving Davis and coming back down to LA, I worked two jobs, two part-time jobs, and I was probably the most miserable in my entire life. But I had a spreadsheet with each paycheck. Uh, no bullshit. Really? With each paycheck, it was my ring spreadsheet. I, I'm curious if I still have it. I'm sure I can find it. With each paycheck that I got, I knew exactly how much I was going to get after taxes. And this was net, right? I was calculating fucking net, got down to that point. You weren't like making minimum wage, were you? Uh, no, no. I was making in the $20 an hour range, but I wasn't making anywhere near what I was worth, anywhere near what I'm making now. Mm -hmm. But it was a start, right? And I knew I had a goal. I had an objective and I wanted to get her a ring and I knew how much that ring was going to cost. And I was piecing it together. Mm -hmm. I would, I had a guy make it and, um, it was, you know, I bought the metal, I bought the diamonds, I bought the center stone and I figured out the design and eat with each portion of the ring that got complete. I had to pay out a certain amount. So it was incremental. It wasn't all one lump sum, but I kept going. I motivated myself to stick it out and tough it out and no bullshit. I got to the final day. Like I had a day that I could literally say, fuck you. I'm quitting. I'm changing my career path now. And I was putting energy toward doing that. Right. But I had a day on that spreadsheet, that final day, that terminus mm -hmm. that I could just walk away from it all. And sure enough, that was a day that my boss, my, well, my then boss and I, you know, didn't see eye to eye. And I was like, you know what? This is not for me. Bye. I already got my I got my eight for the day. <laughs> I'll, I'll be expecting my final check in the mail. And that was it. And I knew I had it and I knew I could walk away from it and I would mm -hmm. be fine. I could, I didn't figure out the rest of it. Like how I was going to live. <laughs> right. And you were still, you were still in Riverside money, at this time. Yeah. Okay. I was still in Riverside. Literally all my money was going into the ring every mm -hmm. penny. And that's why I can level with them. But that was my twenties. Okay. Right. Not your, not my thirties. Right. And now I don't know if that's such a smart move, you know? Okay, well, why why do you feel that's not a smart move now? You have a lot less time, <laughs> I guess, to recoup and rebound from this big financial hit than I did. I had, you know, a long time. And I, I could figure things out. And there were things moving in. in I, I was gaining momentum to the future where I knew that that money that I was putting aside wasn't going to 
hurt me or take away anything out of my life. It did it at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Six to eight months. But now it's nothing. In your 30s, you have... You spent, s- you spent six to eight months with your salary on a ring? Yeah. Jesus. Well, again, I was making I was making hardly anything on two part-time jobs. Well, I mean, some people are still making that on, on one full-time job. Sure. Sure, they are. But yeah, it was a lot. And you know what? It meant a lot to her. And it meant a lot to me that it meant a lot to her. So why not? And that's the mentality that they have. And you might not be able to see it. Doesn't mean it's not right. But I'm telling you right now, in their 30s, it's kind of risky. It's not that it's not right. It's not the right mentality to have, but it's risky. Yeah. Financially speaking, it's irresponsible. All right. So what do you think? Is it irresponsible to think about marriage before you get financially set? That's a tough one. Because I feel like there's, there's two sides to it, right? Like it's, it's either A, you'll never be where you want to be in your head financially, and you may not be as bad as you actually are, or B, you may be pretty irresponsible, and that could be very detrimental to a marriage, since we know one of the top three causes of divorce are finances. Mm-hmm. Yep, very much so. So I, I, I see where you say it's, you know, it's kind of a tricky situation. So let's say it, in this particular case, it's someone that may not be the best with their finances. They have money, they make money. They're just not properly appropriating it. They need to have a wake-up call. They, someone needs to come in and smack them upside the head and say, look, you got to prioritize your finances. Now, I'm calling. I'm the pot calling the kettle black in this situation because I, up until about two years ago, didn't have a savings account, but I made up for it. Mm-hmm. Now I have probably, if I would have saved over the past 10 years, I've tripled that in one year, right? So zero to three? Huh? Yeah, I have like thirty dollars in my savings account now. I'm fucking killing it, bro. If I if if ever a rainy day fund could bail me out of something real deep, that thirty dollars is gonna do it. It's a half order of sushi. <laughs> not even. It's a third of what we order usually. If that, I'm not one to give financial advice, but <laughs> but here it comes. Here it comes. Right. Here comes a pain. Um. When you look at it from the perspective of, I guess when I look at it from someone else's perspective, I can level with it because I've been there. But I've also had a lot of very intense conversations with my wife who says, you got to grow the fuck up and start saving, right? Which is fair. As we're surrounded by all your toys right now, your collectibles. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, she, she doesn't know how much they cost, so we'll not go there. But here we are. As Her thing is, as long as it doesn't impact the house financials, it's fine. We have a joint house account. Every every she calculates how much everyone puts uh, each party puts into it. So her, everyone, as in her yeah, sister wife too, her sister wife as well, and and my brother man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, would it be my brother bro? I don't know. My brother bro, and we put that we contribute that amount monthly. I'm behind a month payment, but there's a reason for that, and there's something that I, I'm doing with that. No, oh, okay. that that was that was already paid for. Okay. So she understands as long as we meet this financial obligation, we're fine. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, you have to set that standard with your significant other, right? Here are our expenses. Here's what we need to cover with a little bit of, you know, extra wiggle room. If anything, you know, we want to splurge on ourselves a little bit, you know, as as a family. If you're able to meet that financial obligation, fine, go for it. And this is her, right? And I love the plan. It's a great plan. We don't have to merge finances. We don't have to micromanage each other's finances. I have this obligation to my family 
this is my obligation and it grows as my income grows mm -hmm. and it grows because our expenses grow alongside our income. Mm -hmm. More money, more problems. Okay. It's a very true statement, right? The more yeah. money we make, the more things that we can afford, the more shit we get ourselves into. And then we're like, whoa, That's don't four diapers now. <laughs> yeah. Don't overextend yourself. That's a key takeaway. If you want to do it, make sure you can do it before you actually commit to it, especially in your thirties. Because I feel, from my experiences, if this was your 20s and you're like, okay, cool, yeah, I'm going to put away a little bit. Yeah, you got throwaway jobs now. You could do that, right? Mm -hmm. You're not really saving for anything substantial. So what happened to the mentality of if it's something you really want to do, do it. You'll figure out how to pay for it later. Here's the thing. Not everyone's as motivated as I made it seem. That's true. Yeah. Right? And mm -hmm. motivation levels differ. With me, I know myself so I can commit to that mantra. Because I know I will work that much harder to make ends meet to give myself a little bit more than I necessarily should have, right? In my current financial situation. Other people might not have the same, uh, be as fortunate. I wouldn't even call it fortune. I, I would say really, it just takes a particular mindset. Mm -hmm. If you can't subscribe to that mindset, don't overextend yourself. Plain and simple. It's really easy. It goes back to my original point. Now to complicate it, if you can't not overextend yourself. Did I say that right? I don't think I did. Anyway. Double negative. Yeah. <laughs> if you so, can't not overextend yourself. Uh, huh? Right. You mean if you can overextend yourself? If you can't help but overextend yourself, mm -hmm. do you need to stay away from marriage? From like being part of and responsible for another person? Not saying that there's any gender roles, but just like there's a mutual obligation there, right? The first piece of advice from my experience I would give is have that discussion early on. Mm -hmm. and get your cards out on the table. Because if you're not able to have that conversation now, it's only going to get more difficult when you have to wake up every morning, look your significant other in the eye and realize that you're, uh, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. Mm. I was going to say something else really mean, but I scaled it back. <laughs> and say it now. Like you're a complete failure. <laughs> <laughs> As a spouse. Anyway, you don't want that circumstance to affect your marriage. That will be a gray cloud hovering over your marriage for as long as it takes for you to get your shit turned around, which may never happen. And at that point, I think expectations will continue to scale and it'll feel like you're continually trying to dig yourself out of a hole that you'll never yeah, get out of. That's a good way of putting it. That's an excellent way of putting it because if you're not able to grow and adapt and, and really improve yourself in your financial situation, which comes with improving yourself, I feel yeah. they're kind of hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're kind of, it's, it's hard to come back from that. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. So I think you make, the best point is, is you have to put your cards on the table. And so, so now say the cards are on the table. Everything is well known, like where you stand, what you're able to do, what you're able to contribute. And you want to progress forward as in let's, let's plan for marriage. I know I can't afford a $10,000, $20,000 ring. Maybe a two to $5,000 ring is what's in my budget. Mm -hmm. Does that, does that mean you shouldn't be getting married or proposing because you can't afford the twenty, thirty thousand dollar ring? Absolutely not. No. That's a societal norm and an expectation that was set for some whatever ungodly reason by the jewelry industry to try and get people to overspend on things that they could get for, you know, if they're creative with it, they can get mm -hmm. it for a lot less. You know, you could have someone make it. Or you could send keys to Columbia and bring you back some emeralds. Some blood diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> he really did bring you back some emeralds. Is that what he did? <laughs> he <Don't> did. <laughs> wow. It's my birthstone, so I was going to have a little something special made. You, you weren't even thinking about Chloe? You were thinking about your... Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. This guy's never getting married. <laughs> anyway, 
it comes it goes from saving to a engagement ring to saving for a wedding to saving for a house like you said these expectations are going to scale and if you don't think that's going to happen you better think twice because when you get married and again this is I'm crowdsourcing these these insights this is not just me talking here this is everyone I've ever spoken to that's married been married or been wanting to get married your wife or future wife her expectations are going to change. When marriage hits, things get real, real serious, because there is an accountability structure there that's either obvious or not obvious. It depends on how good you guys are with talking and, and really hashing out your, your expectations for each other. Well, you know, we often hear that idea of, you know, when you buy a house, it's not just the purchase, it's all the work that's going to go into it continually in maintaining your house, right? Yeah. Do you feel like there's a, a equivalent saying for like if you get married, it's not just you know your wedding is the big cost. It's like continually going to cost you guys. You know, in I don't know if this is even the right phrasing of like it's going to cost you to be married. Essentially, it just costs money being in a marriage and in a relationship. With marriage, yeah, it is an investment. You're not necessarily only investing in yourself, right? In a house, shit breaks, shit gets old, shit gets worn out. In a marriage, shit breaks, shit gets old, shit gets worn out. We're not talking about body parts here. We have, <laughs> what <are you> gonna say? <laughs> but we could. <laughs> we have this obligation to the other person to make sure that we are constantly improving, not only ourselves, but helping them improve as well. And I've spoken to this before. My wife and I are very much invested in each other and each other's success. So we constantly help each other out, right? Mm -hmm. It might not cost anything monetarily, but emotionally, right? Mm -hmm. And you have that cost. Mm -hmm. And how do you offset that? Yeah. Right. You need to find a balance in everything that you do in a marriage because you got to make sure that things aren't being weighted on one side or another. Well, someone's going to get upset. Someone's going to going to get mad and it's going to affect you again with everything. It all comes back to don't overextend yourself. If you cannot commit to something either emotionally, monetarily, physically, don't. And I don't understand why people look to societal norms and trends in order to set a standard for their own relationship. Every relationship is different. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't have to go after a $20,000 ring. If your girl's understanding, you can invest. Now I've known people that have gotten, you know, $2,000 wedding rings and it's now, you know, in five years you can afford something better. You buy her something better. You keep telling her you love her. You, you're in you. The one thing, and I don't know if I mentioned this on the show before, when we were getting married, we have to go through these classes through the Catholic Church. The one thing that our um, priest, the Monsignor at the cathedral told us was you have to have milestones in your marriage hmm. that help renew that affirmation. And every day is an affirmation of your love, right? We've went over that before, but he mentioned that you have milestones that help refresh. Buying a new piece of furniture, buying a, well, let's start with a house first. Right. Uh, maybe you have an apartment either way. Buying a new piece of furniture, buying a house, having kids, going on a vacation, a big vacation, buying a car, having these things to help keep things new and interesting and give you guys this sense that you're headed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. It helps offset so much of that emotional, monetary, and physical obligation just by doing these little random acts, right? And they don't have to be big. They don't. It doesn't have to be a fucking you know two hundred thousand dollar car again within your means, but it's things that help set a reference point for you to revert back to something new, something that you can renew together. Mm. And I feel like 
my wife and I have had so much of that in the past five years. It's just been so accelerated. Like now we have this opportunity to kind of temper the pace a little bit and set our own speed and and go from there. You know, but I, I don't know. Together, I, we've been... <laughs> We've been knocking it out of the park. Like I feel we've done really well for ourselves over the past five years because we communicate, we're mm-hmm. open, and when we set the expectations and we put it out there, we put that energy out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think uh going back to what you said about social norms and and using social norms as a measuring stick. I think I get I do get caught up in like what my peers are doing more so than like what society expects. And then Isn't just, that one and the same though? No, because I think there's there's social expectations like this is what you're supposed to be doing. But then, what if all my peers are buying thirty thousand dollar rings for whatever reason? And society okay. just says three months salary, right? Yeah. Right. So it's sure. And you subscribe to what what I want to do, and I get away from that sometimes. And I just like, oh well, that Maybe. makes me feel some kind of way about myself. Like, am I am I not doing enough, or am I? It just makes me question my actions, or question my intent, or question you know my decision, or if I don't feel the conviction to go buy this huge ring doesn't mean my my feelings are any less. I just prioritize things differently. And that's why I would rather much buy a house and put this as, this is my engagement gift to you. Yeah. As long as, again, you communicate mm-hmm. your expectations and you communicate your situation and your partner's understanding of that, like genuinely understanding, there is no problem. But I'm still amazed by how people shy away from confronting their significant others. What do you mean? Their partners by being open and honest. Like, hey, look, this is where I'm at. There's no shame in that. Yeah. They chose you. They're still with you. They know who you are. Right. You're not Bill fucking Gates. You're you. And in the end, as long as you communicate that and you affirm that. And look, you know, I I really wanted to do this, but this is all... It's it's a thought that counts really, yeah. and and with especially with engagement rings, we we keep going back to that, but it's more than that. With anything in your marriage, if there is thought and deliberation put into whatever you have to offer your your partner, you're okay. There are nine times out of ten, you'll have that one ten percent like of the population. They're like, well, you know what? Now nah, I want a fancy shit. You know, well maybe that girl is not right for you. What you have to understand is you are in control of who you choose and you are in control of what you communicate. You can definitely control your finances, but that takes presence of mind. You have to make decisions and you have to stick to them and you have to be true to yourself and the other person that you're obligated to. And that's something that may seem tough, but it's very possible. You just have to make a commitment and stick to it. And from my experience, I've never really been able to live up to financial, you know, how do I put this, responsibility. I've never been financially responsible. I've been very frivolous with money. But lately, I've seen its impact play out in my life now with two kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking at potentially improving our situation on the house front. You need to get your shit together for things like that. You know, you can't just materialize fucking money out of thin air. You can work harder, but what if you just end up spending all that money? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not doing yourself any favors. So make that commitment to yourself and be true. And you will see a big difference in your ability to save for that ring, that house, that family. And it doesn't have to be the $20,000 ring or the million dollar house. And it's not to say that you can't have those one day, but if you can't have it right now, own your truth. Start with where you're at and work your way up. And keep listening because we'll tell you 
how to get there. <laughs> no false promises. Buy our product now. <laughs> wow. And you're guaranteed financial success. Disclaimer, the FTC says that I cannot actually guarantee anything, so I will have to say I might be able to get you something. But, you know, in the end, who cares? You're buying our product. Fuck you. So, Randy, if the people want to talk to you about finances and your future financial obligations. <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend they bells. reach out to me for financial advice. No, why not? Because I am not a financial advisor. Experience, right? What you've gone through, all that. Where can the people find you? You can find me anywhere and everywhere at I am Randy Z. And Turk, where can the people find you? Oh, thank you for asking. The people can find me at Turk Says No on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you for subscribing to another episode of Talk 30 to Me. We hope you enjoy it and continue to share it with friends. Make sure you stop by our website at talk30tome.com for more content and information about the podcast. Rate us on iTunes, and if you really like what you hear, make sure you hit that donate button. Really appreciate it. For Talk 30 to Me, I'm Turk. And I'm Randy Z. Peace. to me's how to become financially solvent in under 30 days for four low payments of 99.99 you too can have that big black dildo you wow. i hope people know that you're not serious we're not saying nobody dildos <laughs> <laughs>